It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. Our guest for this episode is Jill Wheatley. Jill has been on the podcast before, amazingly, two years ago. She was getting ready to embark on a big climb near Katmandu. I don't remember exactly the details, but um, I've been tracking Jill. She made it. I thought it'd be good to visit with her again, just kind of see where she's been, what's going on, and find out what kind of wild and wacky things Jill has been up to. Hey, Jill, thanks for coming back to the Ambiguously Blind podcast. I'm really honored to be uh, invited for a second time. Thanks so much for having me, John. It has been quite a while, Jill. You are episode 39, and uh, this is officially episode 98. You've done incredible work between oh, then and wow. now. I am not <laughs> While any better. I've been out doing different things. <laughs> yeah, you've been doing a lot of things. Um, I've been doing the same thing and, and really not getting any better at my craft. But uh, I'm still working on it, though. But I'm, it's it's a pleasure to have I'm you back. Glad. Yeah, this is great. Thank you. I, I would suggest going back and listening to episode 39. Jill, that was two years ago. A little over two years ago, actually. Uh, <laughs> August 24th of 2021. My goodness. How the times have changed. But uh, some things are still the same. And that's, I think, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. But I would suggest that uh, you go back and listen to that episode because we're going to go through some updates basically from that episode. Um, so uh, that's a good place to start. But Jill, I do things a little differently now. I ask some kind of wacky questions because even though we got to know Jill Wheatley pretty well back there in episode 39, there's some things that we didn't get into. And I feel like there's <laughs> some space that we need to, to cover with you. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. You hang in there for a couple <laughs> wacky questions. I'll do my best. <laughs> okay, so what is your favorite band or type of music? Oh, definitely country music. Um, I can't really say I have a band. I'll listen to pretty much anything, but yeah, Spotify playlists all tend to have definitely a bit of country. country music. Okay, so let's Absolutely. let's throw that down a little bit. Is it like okay, like like old country, like sixties, no, seventies, no, no, like nineties, no. like current day, like national yeah, country, no like Alberta country, <laughs> like what kind of country? Oh, good on you, Alberta. Yeah. Um, I guess more, yeah, recent, current. Um, whatever Spotify recommends for me, they kind of know my history and what I listen to, which is kind of scary, but tend to make my playlists based on their recommendations. So, okay. I mean, being in Nepal, in Nepal, I'm not really exposed to what is listened to over here in North America. So I kind of rely on my, my brother and my sister and their song recommendations when uh, when when I come here or to catch up. And okay. then, yeah, and, and then my playlist, like I have this playlist called Basecamp Beats and lots of people who I've been climbing with, they kind of get to know. It's just really random, just a really a mix of kind of like everything sort of from the last like 20 years, just a real mix. You're an international gal, Jill. I am. Um, yes. <laughs> at, at the present moment, we find you in Canada, right? Your home country. I yeah, which feels really strange to say because my entire adult life, like basically since just after college, I have been living overseas, and this is the first time that I've actually 
spent, well, I've been here more than a month now, um, here in the Canadian Rockies. And it really wasn't planned, but if you go back to that last episode uh, when we recorded, you know that um, <laughs> I truly sort of represent that, which um, is all of impermanence and life changing really fast. And it doesn't always go the way we plan. So uh, it wasn't even part of the blueprint really to be here. I anticipated uh, being in Pakistan or Tibet around now, but here I am in Canada and I truly feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. It feels good. Okay. What about yeah. books, Jill? Are you a reader? What's the most significant book you've read or or if not, maybe the most recent book you've read? Um, actually, to be honest, since my accident and since I lost so much of my vision, I don't um, read paper books very often anymore. Maybe I'll, like, I'll do some skipping. Audio books. Um, I've been listening to David Goggins recently. Uh, in front of me is one of my favorite. I almost call it a Bible. It's called How to Ice Climb, um, which is more just more practical stuff. That How to Ice I, Climb? Um, I'm working. Said? Yeah, yeah. Just okay, that makes sense. The, yeah. Perfect uh -huh. the art. Um, and that's not something that works too well just listening to. Um, but in terms of a book in front of me, that's right in front of me right now. It makes a lot of sense. Along with 20, 27 journals are in front of me that I've kept since my accident. So those uh, hopefully one day will be formed into a book. But in terms of listening, yeah, I do like like biographies. And I, I actually I, I listen to quite a few podcasts. Um, yeah. I know you're a big yeah. fan of this podcast. Yeah. I know. I mean, I know of you haven't to every episode, but yeah. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what advice would you give your 19-year-old self? Probably really let loose of the word plan. Just have ideas. But, um, you know, I referred to blueprint ease, uh, earlier. But just stay open-minded and accept sort of the trail life takes. I mean, be aware of of the choices that you make and you have opportunities to make choices. But when something doesn't go the way you anticipate, just let go of that, which you cannot control. I think that's great advice for anybody. Yeah. Speaking of out of control or craziness, uh, what is the crate? So you're a mountain climber, Jill, we'll get a little I bit am. into more of that a little bit later, an adventurer, if you will. Yeah. What's the most, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you when you've been in an adventure on an adventure? The craziest Thing. See, I, I've had a conversation recently with friends about this, that what has sort of become natural or normal for me, a lot of people think is the most ridiculous, craziest thing ever. But there's been, I mean, Annapurna, I just climbed Annapurna 1, which um, is sort of world renowned as one of the most difficult 8,000 meter mountains to climb. And I managed to do so with pneumonia, bronchitis and sinusitis. So some people think might think that's a little bit crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was never part, it crazy. just happened. It's happened and I worked through it, got it done. Um, but the, yeah, that was a little bit, uh, that was intense. But honestly, I feel that if I hadn't had my brain injury, I probably would not have made that climb. Like I just feel that everything I went through over 26 months following my accident sort of prepared me to go through hard stuff and definitely helped shape perspective and, and what is difficult and what I can work through. So yeah, some may, may say that climbing one of the, the world's toughest peaks in such an ill state uh, is kind of crazy. But it's done. It was an interesting chapter, that's for sure. Okay, and what is the coldest temperature you've ever climbed in or been found yourself in? 
about minus 40. Uh, well, actually, actually, it's uh, sorry, this is Celsius, right? I don't but know. I think I, I'm in America, so I can't tell you what Celsius means. <laughs> cold. <laughs> uh, really, really cold. <laughs> Even actually lower, like my, probably minus 44 came up on the thermometer last winter. Fahrenheit? Um, no, Celsius. Celsius. Okay. Yeah. So that's like so, super. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The fun factor gets a little bit lower. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do when it's minus 40 degrees Celsius? Keep moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah every every layer that you have nothing exposed and what do you do for, for heat? me the, like you have a i mean obviously you're moving okay but like when you stop mm -hmm. when you sleep or when you rest or whatever well so those temperatures what when, when i'm talking about minus 40 i'm thinking more here like here i was training in the winter last um last season or last winter and those temperatures are day trips ice climbing um and so you know, knowing that I have heat to come back to in the evening or, or come back to a hot shower is one thing. But when I, and I have been like in the lower minus 20s, closer to minus 30 when I'm climbing 8,000 meter peaks, those temperatures don't happen as often as people may believe. I mean, yes, it still gets cold, but again, it's relative. And so just the, the layering system is incredibly important. Like, you know, you have to choose your layers very carefully and yeah, we're sleeping in, well, depending on, on where, what, and what altitude, up to like six, seven layers, big down suit, and then in a sleeping bag, and sort of all cuddled in as close as we can. You know, a bunch of people in a tent, the body heat helps, but um, yeah, it makes a huge difference as soon as the sun comes out, even though it's, it's bitter cold. Um, and when the blue sky is out, it actually often feels colder. But yeah, it, it's kind of hard to get moving in the morning. And you're, it, you're starting in the dark too, pretty well always. If you're if you're doing big mountain climbing, here. the alpine starts, you know, three in the morning often. Sometimes you're starting at night. <laughs> How many pairs of glasses do you have? Oh my gosh! Right now, I would guess about seven. When I'm climbing, I only have three just because I have to be very, very cautious with the weight because anything I want to wear, I have to carry. Are they different glasses for different situations or is it just like a backup and a backup for the backup? Pretty much a backup, a backup and a pair of goggles because, yeah, it's really important, you know, the, on the glaciers especially to protect the vision. Well, I, I mean, even if I had perfect vision, you need to protect your eyes from, from the reflections off the glacier, off mm -hmm. the snow. And so... Um, well, I mean, regardless, I wear sunglasses pretty much um, all day, every day, whether it's cloudy and rainy like today. That's just a comfort comfort thing for me. I'm still working towards accepting the way I appear <laughs> with my, um, the way my traumatic brain injury affected my, my vision and the, my appearance. So I still hide behind glasses. And even though I'm at, say, seven, 8,000 meters, I would do the same even if they weren't required which is sad, but it, I'm aware of it and it's something I continue to work on. Okay, well, that's all the crazy questions, Jill. So. Oh, you, okay. Yeah, you're off the hot seat. <laughs> all right. thought I was going to have to dig into my bag of dad jokes. Oh, you got a dad joke? Of course or I do. a dad do. joke or bad joke? Or I mean, they're probably the same, uh, one of the same. Yeah. <laughs> Depends who you ask. Yeah. Why did this scarecrow win an award? 
When did the Scarecrow win? I don't know, Jill. Tell me why the Scarecrow won an award. <laughs> it was outstanding in their field. Uh-huh. I've heard that. I couldn't come up with it. Outstanding in its field. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Outstanding in the field. Yes. Is that wrong? I'm laughing at my own joke. No, I think because it's funny. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Okay. All right. Okay, and as we uh, mentioned after the dad jokes, so I, there could be some more of those. If you have one of those, just let it fly. It's I, that, I, I might, I might throw one out. All right, <laughs> and make things move a little smoother. All but, right, uh, we referenced episode thirty-nine, and it's kind of uh, an overview. And there's actually some similarities, Jill, between your story and mine, mostly in the sense that there's some sight loss, and that we both had an acute incident. Uh, in my case, an illness; in your case, uh, an injury. That resulted in a kind of a all, all of a sudden change in life. Mm-hmm. And for people that haven't heard your story, just to kind of summarize it, I guess, to, just so so we know again, kind of what what's going on there. And then again, I would encourage people to go back and listen to the whole episode for the for more detail on it. But just kind of give me let's let's go through kind of a quick pass of of your story and and where you are with that today. Sure. On this day, I'm sorry, yesterday, September third. Uh, 2014, I was teaching um, high school physical and health education and sports science at an international school in Germany. So all my adult life, I've been sort of traveling around the world, working in these different international schools uh, where expat kids from around the world, where their parents are working in these different countries, come to school. And I was the PE teacher. So just a typical Wednesday, September morning, in fact, the weather's a lot like it looks here in Canmore this morning or this afternoon. It's kind of gray, cloudy. It's not raining, but there's definitely potential for rain. And all of my colleagues decided to change their lesson plans and bring their students indoors. Where for myself, growing up in northern Ontario, we've always, my family, we just still went outside regardless of the weather. Just put on a good Gore-Tex jacket um, and um, yeah, still still get out and enjoy that fresh air. So that's what I did with my students. And this typical or this class was about 16 year olds, basically, they're 10th grade. And we were just warming up. It was the second week of school and it was our first lesson. We were going to use baseball bats. So we had done some uh, lessons, basically connection activities where you're connecting two different objects. So, for example, a tennis racket and a tennis ball or a badminton racket and a birdie. Um, In this case, a baseball and a baseball bat. And everything was going, the lesson was going as I intended. However, just an absolute freak, um, which I am I use the word accident very reluctantly. I prefer the term serendipity. Now, that took a long time. We can come back to that. But the accident happened um, when basically so Americans know baseball and sort of the equivalent of home plate and where the student was and I was at third base he was sort of intending to hit out towards um first base or even off um sort of off the field from there and I was just at third base working with another group of students and basically the his follow-through went in the wrong direction and essentially I was hit with a line drive to the side of my head so my skull um so not didn't actually hit my eye it hit the excuse me the right side of my head and instantly i knew that there was something extremely wrong i knew i needed help 
and I was trying to, I can just see it right now, to be honest, as, as I recall, it's like an eagle looking down on the field, knowing that I needed help, but and I needed to keep students calm, but I was in serious trouble. So um, the next days, actually the next four months are kind of in and out of um, memory. And I was taken to the local hospital. And at the moment of that impact, my eye instantly closed and blew up, in fact, the size of a baseball. And between the color purple, blue, and black, I was unrecognizable pretty quickly. At the hospital, I passed the concussion coherence test. So I knew what my name was. I knew maybe where I lived, something like that. Um, they didn't do um, any extensive testing and they allowed me to go home to the farm where I lived uh, in Bavaria. So above a farm or a, a, the, sort of the top of a barn, I lived um, by myself, very typical Bavaria. My colleagues dropped me there and, you know, I was told I had a black eye. And so even though, and this was a Wednesday, I was supposed to leave on Friday to go compete in the World Duathlon Championships in Switzerland. So that is long distance cycling and running. And my friend that was flying in from England, he was going to take me to the race. However, he saw me and brought me right back to that hospital. Uh, basically, I had been sort of in and out of consciousness since I was brought home my own in my own vomit. And as soon as he brought me back to that hospital, they put me in an ambulance and rushed me to a neurotrauma hospital. So with extensive testing, though um, it was revealed very, very quickly or as soon as the doctor saw me, my skull had in fact, in fact been fractured and my brain was bleeding and swelling. So with at home by myself with what was I was told was a black eye and just telling myself I need to be tough. I need to toughen up because I have this race to do. It's only a black eye so I can race. I can ride a bike. I can run. Well, that black eye has in fact never reopened and I've lost more than half the vision on my left-hand side as well. So uh, neurointensive care is where I spent most of the next four months and following that will com combined 26 months between seven different hospitals in three countries yeah no big deal 24 months three <laughs> three countries like yeah obviously so, this is just a black eye not a big deal right right yeah so between the the tbi so the areas of the brain that were affected you know there's sort of the just the ptsd that comes with that i mean originally I thought PTSD, I just associate that with violence and war. Yeah, sure. um, but there mm -hmm. is, in fact, a lot um, a lot that goes with, with an injury such as mine. And so with that, you know, the emotions, the sensation, motor function, cognitive function, and then I developed a, a life-threatening eating disorder because the area of my brain that was affected, that was damaged, actually is responsible for the control of appetite, which uh, was... Yeah, so so I came very close to death because of that part of it. And then, yeah, more than 70% of my eyesight. So when I went into hospital on September 4th, so this day that we speak, actually, in, in 2014, you know, a very fit, active, well, sport teacher, coach, athlete, competitive athlete, I had the very typical Subaru with two bikes on the car, like on the roof. There was my mountain bike, my road bike in the back. There's skis. 
of skis for options, depending on what kind of terrain there's snowshoes and sort of anything I could just get in the car and, and play outside. But now I had lost not only 70% of my vision, but so much autonomy. And that independence was taken away because I could no longer, my driver's license was taken away because I can't see enough to, to be safe in a car uh, well, as a driver. So um, yeah, with, with a traumatic brain injury, there's just so, there's just so much complexity that uh, I just really felt misunderstood for a very long time. I mean, I felt misunderstood, but it was also a struggle with acceptance of what had happened, accepting the way my life had changed was a really difficult process. And in fact, it's an ongoing process because I can't say every day is, um, you know, perfect. I perfectly accept what has happened and the way my life has gone. But the lessons that I've learned now, you know, the number of years out I've been traveling now um, and in the mountains and learning and, and sort of coming back to that perspective and, and the lessons from my traumatic brain injury, you know, I sit here actually thankful for the lessons and for what I have learned about impermanence, about perspective, about being vulnerable and the power of the power of perspective and being vulnerable and and the power of possibility, right? Exactly. Yeah. Po- power of perspective and possibility are really um, w- sort of what I focused on in the last the last couple of years when I've chosen some big goals that um, I absolutely there's <laughs> very little chance I would have even considered had I had perfect vision and life just sort of went the typical path that. I might have thought one. Might, I might have once thought. I've been doing some writing, Jill. Mentioned that to you briefly before we mm-hmm. were recording here. And kind of one of the things that has, has revealed itself in, in my writing process, which has been super cathartic. And um, I'm really um, excited about what I'm doing and, and what, what's going to be coming in, in the future with it. But I noticed that as I kind of look back on things and it's been about 25 years for me, mm-hmm. uh, my, my incident happened in 1998 and mm-hmm. you know, you go through a traumatic incident and it's a near death thing for me. And people will say to you, um, like they will congratulate you and like, Oh my gosh, that's so heroic. Or, um, mm-hmm. you, it's incredible that you did this. Or, you know, I just, they'll kind of be in awe mm-hmm. of things that, that happen to you. And sometimes that can paint somebody into a corner where somebody will say, my gosh, that's just so, I, I, I choose the, the word heroic. Like, you're, you're a hero to me, right? I just can't believe what you did. Well, for me, what I did, I was actually asleep. <laughs> I was in a coma for eight days. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I won the battle against meningitis um, mm-hmm. and, and meningitis definitely took its toll on me and, and life is different. But yeah. what I felt like and, and some of the things that have revealed itself through my writing process is that the process of healing from my incident didn't really start until I was cured of the meningitis or in my case, I'm out of the hospital, you're back on the road to recovery. It's like, now what? Uh-huh. Now I am tra- dr- traumatically or uh, dramatically, sorry, different than I was before. And yeah. the path forward, the road forward 
on the other side of, in my case, meningitis, it's actually harder, I have found, looking back, mm-hmm. than, than the actual survival of the, the illness that I had. Um, yeah. now, the people have all different kinds of things, and I, I'm not necessarily comparing mine to yours in the sense, exactly, but the sense that um, like somebody that has cancer or something, or somebody that has some sort of um, maybe a traumatic brain injury or something, where they have this impact, and they get out of the hospital and they send them off. And then you go to day one of, okay, so now I'm back in the world. Yeah. What now? I remember that feeling. Did you, did you experience anything like that? Oh my gosh. I remember like vividly being dropped off at Denver airport, like in an Uber, the hospital like sent me off in an Uber into the world. And I just felt so incredibly lost. Like I, like I had just mentioned um, earlier that I had gone in, you know, living overseas my entire life. I'm not, or sorry, my entire adult life. I, I had given up my Canadian residency because I was paying taxes in all of these other countries. So it didn't make sense to still keep my Canadian residency. I had a passport, but, um, you know, I hadn't, I didn't have a sense of home here in Canada and, uh, my, I couldn't stay in Germany anymore. They took my work permit away because I couldn't work. And my visa was dependent on my work. Uh, And my apartment had been given up. My bank account had been frozen because it had been inactive. And they thought that people were trying, my brother, who had uh, power of attorney, was trying to interfere. Um, My car had been sold. I just felt absolutely lost. Like, no idea. What what you're saying is like life went on without you. And you've got this time period for whatever it was for, you know, in the case of me, a couple of months for you, maybe a couple of years, 26, 26, yeah, months, 26 yeah. months. So like your, yeah. your Jill is on pause for 26 months and mm-hmm. the, the world didn't pause for you. The world kept spinning. Things yeah. keep moving. And then here you are dropped off at the airport. Like, mm-hmm. What does that feel like? What, how does that work? What, what is the, how do you, how do you wrap your head around that? I, I mean, the word shame comes to mind and it, and I think it's sad that I say that now, but I, you know, when I think back, like, because, and I, and I talked earlier about, you know, the shame just hiding behind my glasses still, but just feeling like coming out of that hospital and I look different, I feel different. I feel so alone. There's just this intense, painful feeling that I'm just so flawed. Like I don't belong in society you know, society tells us who we should be, what we should be, how we should be, what we should look like. And I just didn't feel like I fit in at all. I just didn't feel like like this shame, just this feeling of I'm not worthy. I don't have value, as much value as a human anymore. I'm alive. But like, even then I was literally like just bones. Like I was barely surviving because I was so malnourished so thin I mean yes they they got me nourished before they let me out of hospital but I just felt like my value as a human with all of these labels you know there's the traumatic brain injury there's the vision loss there's the eating disorder there's the PTSD like all of these things I just felt so flawed that I didn't I didn't there was nowhere I belonged and that's where the mountains came in it was just like you know what I don't belong in society I want to be away from it all and that's how I chose mountains. Like there was no sign pointing to anything else other than to go and figure out what next, figure out life in the mountains. And so that's why I set off at that time. I thought for one year to just travel in different mountains and try to figure out 
or in, in hope of finding some light on my trail. And here I am now more than five years later, still traveling. Yeah. So here we go. So for one year you're committing to, I'm going to find myself. I'm going to find mountains. I'm going to do some things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to forget about this imposter syndrome I have about, you know, it sounds to me like your imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. was about you were, you were an imposter of being a human, like being a real person, not, not even like a successful person or something, just like a baseline human. Like what, what is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. So unworthy for sure. Yeah. So uh, for a year, you're going to go climb mountains. Sorry. At that point, John, it wasn't climbing at all. Like climbing hadn't even like crossed my mind. It was literally just walking. Like, you know, I used to run and cycle before, but coming out of hospital, like I was so sick for so long, you know, I was in a wheelchair and then just starting to walk again took it was quite a process because of my vision and oh, yeah. uh, the Im- imbalances. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so going from, you know, wheelchair to walking, walking to like in the hospital to like physiotherapy would be outside in parking lots trying to navigate just yeah. like with balance, but also the safety of cars and crossing a street. And, um, and so I thought I actually planned 13 different massives, like 13 different mountain regions where I would avoid snow because I could not imagine that I would ever be able to navigate um, walking through snow again because of my lack of depth perception. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I would never ski again. And so, you know, yeah, just avoiding planning that one year of travel away from snow just seems pretty surreal right now, considering what I'm doing. (laughs) I can, I can totally relate, especially as you say, walking at like, physical therapy or in a parking lot mm-hmm. because just, you know, my story is not that interesting. Yours is way more interesting, but like, I remember, um, I was in a hospital bed for a, a bunch of days and had lost control of muscles and all these kind of things. And so I had to learn how to walk again and I was in a wheelchair myself and, mm-hmm. and I can remember being at physical therapy and I, I was, I was, I was using a gait belt where somebody would hold on to you and, and help you walk on each side. And I graduated from, Mm-hmm. walking with with two people with me to one person and then sort of on my yeah. own with a walker and, and a railing to hold yeah. on to. And they said, okay, you know mm-hmm. what? I think you're pretty good. Let's take this outside. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, let's go. You know, I like being outside. That's fine. We're going to walk in the grass. And like, <laughs> I was like, all right, no problem. So I take like two steps in the grass and I'm face down in the grass. Oh, and geez. One of the things that, uh, that I've written about is that I, I quickly learned two things. Life is not a walk in the park. And I, <laughs> and I literally can't walk in the park. I mean, it's just crazy. So you're talking about balance. And these yeah. are things that we just inherently know, just instinctively yeah. know. But when things get thrown out of whack like that, it's amazing. Just the, the, the simplicity, the primal... I don't know how to describe it. It's just so basic details that all of a sudden you've got to relearn. Yep. And, and then coming back to shame with that. Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. e- even in the hospital, <laughs> even yeah. in the hospital. Right. Uh, most of the people that were in my rehab, physical rehab, I was the youngest by like double digit, mm. digit mm. years by far. Mm-hmm. Like, like the mm-hmm. closest person was probably like 30 years older than me. Right. So I was like, well, yeah. what am I doing in here? Yeah. 
my hospital actually had a lot of motor vehicle accidents. So there, there were some younger people, but, but I can definitely relate to what you're yeah, saying. Well, pride. I mean, my thinking. gosh, just pride yeah. itself is like, what, what's, what is going on? I've done this all my life. So this is easy. Mm-hmm. And all of a right. sudden yeah. it's not. And, and one of the things I remember you saying was that I think your hospital days ended in, in Colorado. Yeah. And your room or some of the places that you were looking at would just look overlook the Rocky Mountains. Exactly. Yeah. And my doctors would say like what, you know, when I would real, I was not a very patient patient. I was not a nice human being whatsoever. I was, there was just so much anger still. They, they, you know, were, they're going to keep me in hospital longer. And, and I would just argue and they'd say, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, see those mountains? Like, I'll just let me go. I'll figure it out. And, and at that time I had no clue, like no concept of, of life in the mountains or it, it was absolutely in no way a plan. I just wanted to be out of the hospital, but the way life has worked out, I am actually figuring it out in the mountains. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. So <laughs> I am. <laughs> when we last connected, this was again, two years ago, you were in yeah. Kathmandu. I don't know if we've said that yeah. yet or not. Um, you were getting ready to st- embark on a uh, mission or on a plan that you had, which we all know how plans work. Okay. <laughs> and I don't, do you know who Mike Tyson is? So I, I do. Yeah. So his famous quote is everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth, right? Or hit in the face. Oh yeah. Well, or until you get hit in the head yeah. or the head. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, you had a plan to, to climb 8,000 meter mountains. Is that, tell me about that plan. At that point, John, I was just packing, I believe, to go and climb Manaslu. And Manaslu is the world's eighth highest mountain. And at that point, that was the only 8,000 meter mountain I had any intention of climbing. However, and I chose it because of the 14 peaks that stand above 8,000 meters, Manaslu has a reputation of being one of the easier ones. And it was kind of exciting for me because well, I was living in Nepal at the time, but also I had done a trail race around Manaslu, like a stage race. So I just thought it was pretty cool to start after having run around it, that it would be cool to, to actually climb it. So that's the way I chose Manaslu. And it, in fact, went so seamlessly well for all good reasons that as I descended, so that would be about a six week expedition. And so coming down after the summit, I was just so excited, but so pleasantly surprised how strong I felt. Um, and again, I think that comes back to the lessons of my traumatic brain injury um, and perspective and my pain tolerance, but just so much appreciation. I just, I think of the expedition in itself and what stands out for me is being on the top and thinking about all of those doctors that, as you just mentioned, specifically in Colorado, um, who truly did not give up on me when I had absolutely given up on myself. I'd given up on life. I didn't, they had said I would survive three days if all of that medication and those tubes were taken out. And I did not want those three days. I was pulling those tubes out, doing everything I could to actually end it. So those are the people I'm thinking of when I'm standing atop the world's highest peaks. As I descended Manislu, um, I just, as I mentioned, I just the perspective and I decided, you know what, I need something more difficult. I need a, be- a, a bigger challenge because that just felt too easy. And so at that, at that time, as I made my way from the summit, I decided I could tell another one of those moments, I could tell you exactly where I was, the smile on my face, I'm going to do all 14. So there's 14 
8,000ers and I decided that I'm going to climb them all. And even the name came to me as I descended. Uh, I would call it Vision 8000. And my idea was that by climbing all of the world's 14 peaks that stand above 8,000 meters, or for the American listeners, that's 26,250 Yeah, feet. thanks for helping us out <laughs> I'm trying to do the math in my head. <laughs> um, it's pretty high. Yeah, just, yeah. It is, it is pretty high. The air is pretty thin up there. But by doing so, um, like we talked earlier, just about giving other people the opportunity to witness the power of perspective and possibility. And just, you know, doing what I do and choosing to climb, uh, choosing to, to do wild things in wild places. You know, I, I believe that um, breaking down stigma can only be done through education. And by doing what I'm doing, I feel like I can really be a teacher in a different sense, you know, not the classroom setting anymore, but by, by climbing mountains and, you know, sort of embracing the life I nearly lost that any stigma associated with traumatic brain injury or vision loss and eating disorders that through these challenging mountain experiences that I can help break some of that stigma down. So yeah, absolutely. That's how I, absolutely. I, I agree. Thank you. Yeah. So a really inspiring project, uh, in, like a, it inspired me. I was really motivated to, to get on it. I made, um, a plan, a plan again, P L A N, um, should not be used. <laughs> I made a blueprint, uh, a blueprint for the next two years. So basically from then till now, as I speak to you, that it's been two years. So September, I, I summited Manislu in 2021. And then sort of that sort of, because of the certain mountains are best or safest to climb at certain times. So after Manislu, I spent the winter actually training in Canada, some um, ice climbing and skiing. And then I went back to Nepal, uh, did some more ice ice climbing there, skiing there in the higher Himalayas. And then I climbed. So I'm not sure how familiar your audience, you or your audience is with 8,000 meters, but I'll give you the names. Um, and these again, so these are all in the in the top fourteen. So I climbed Dolagari, Kachinjunga, and Makalu. Those are three of Nepal's highest, back to back to back. And then I went to uh, Pakistan and I climbed uh, what is supposed to be the world's toughest mountain, and that is K two and Broad Peak. Um, and then I tried one more. It's called Nanga Parbat, but we actually had a really bad avalanche and we couldn't summit. But safety first. <laughs> so. Um, yes, I got, I got six done really fast and was still on track, uh, with the blueprint to continue that and start again this past March. Uh, and that is Annapurna one, uh, it's the 10 highest mountain, but it's actually, in fact, between K2 and Annapurna, they're sort of the most technically Nanga Prabhat, maybe, um, most technically challenging. And on Annapurna is when, as I mentioned earlier, I got really sick with pneumonia and then the bronchitis and sinusitis. So it was sort of climb in back, uh, into the hospital, get that taken care of, go back to climb, finish the climb, but get sick again. Anyway, it got done, but it forced me to pause. And I sit here actually very thankful. And again, coming back to that word of serendipity and finding the good. Because what happened... Uh, I was intending to go climb Everest was next in the calendar. 
Uh, Everest is the highest mountain, and right beside it is Lhotse, the, I believe it's ninth high, fifth highest. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, but they would, that expedition would sort of be back to back, as in you do one and then you don't even go down to base camp. You summit the second one the next day. However, I was leaving hospital after the pneumonia with a stack of literally 12 different medications, puffers, um, concoctions, um, and with a script um, far too long uh, to, to leave feeling confident with. The script was basically like, so when you get to this elevation, start taking this medication. And if this happens, take this one and that one. But if you get here and this happens, try these two. And it, it just did not feel like I was setting myself up for success. To go and climb the highest mountain, the busiest 8,000 meter peak by far, which is, to be honest, it's um, kind of repulsive to me. Um, it feels like a circus, the way that the um, commercialization of Everest has evolved in the last few years. So I'm really not interested in that part of climbing. Like I really chose mountains for the challenge and the serenity, you know, away from, away from people. And, and so that could be a whole podcast in itself. But so the, the illness forced me to pause. And even though the doctors had said, yeah, you can go, um, I just didn't feel confident in it. And so I made the, I followed my intuition, which I'm actually sitting here very proud of because I, you know, I had set this blueprint. And I, you know, if I set a goal, I work really hard to achieve that. But um, stepping back, I wanted just to make sure that, you know, keeping in touch with my values and the list of, of my values on top of it, wherever you, if you see it in my journals on my website, you know, the number one thing is health. And I just don't feel like I could thrive climbing a mountain when I'm not totally healthy and putting myself at risk and putting others at risk too. So I got into the position where I thought I would pause at that time, try to get myself healthy and prepared because I still had five more climbs to do uh, following Everest and let's say go right to Pakistan and start climbing again. However, 8,000 meter mountains are very expensive to climb. And again, um, coming back to the why, like, why do I climb? And I just feel like when I, when I took that time to focus on my health and then started looking at what that actual, that expedition on Annapurna cost me, not only cost my health, but financially. Um, so that was my eighth time on an 8,000 meter mountain. And when they averaged 30,000 US dollars each, I just simply cannot I cannot justify paying that much money to do something um, that although I feel, you know, passionate and I believe, you know, again, coming back to, to what is possible. Um, but I just don't feel that it's, you know, going into debt is something I want to do um, just to, to continue. And so I chose to pause. There's a lot of focus in the climbing world uh in the last year there's a lot of focus on records the first person to do this the fastest person to do that and i'm simply not interested and again coming back to the why do i climb and and how important i feel my values are who do i want to be and what i stand for and how i relate to the world like climbing is something i do climbing is not who i am 
And so I've chosen to step back from the project and still in debt because of, because of those clients. Um, you know, well, if sponsors or companies are interested in sponsoring people because they are the fastest to climb a mountain or they've climbed a mountain at this number of meters, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do something um, that I don't feel that or align that I'm, I, that I don't feel aligns with my values. Yeah. Um, and I don't have sponsors. I just have not, ha- you know, I, 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 sorry, I shouldn't say that. I have had some companies who have been very supportive with respect to gear. So I've had, um, some clothing and sunglasses. Um, Jewel has given me glasses and goggles and like he gives me poles and gloves and Himali gives me like my big damn suit and Hyperlite gives me backpacks. Um, and those things are incredibly expensive and I'm so thankful that these companies have supported me. But on top of that are these expedition fees that I just simply can no longer, um, Mm -hmm. justify. And being here in Canada right now wouldn't have happened if, I guess it comes back to the pneumonia leading to the pause, leading to the revelation of I'm getting away from my why if I continue to, to spend money, um, to climb mountains. And now here I'm actually feeling much more inspired climbing with the most incredible community here where I feel so much connection. Um, And I'm doing more technical climbing and learning more um, than I was on 8,000 meter peaks. And so earlier in in our recording, when I said, you know, I truly feel like this is where I belong. This is absolutely where I feel I'm supposed to be right now. So um, yeah, coming back to what, Mike Tyson said, or did, is that what you said? Mike Tyson said, you know, everything. Everybody has to, a plan until they or, get hit. The until face, it's, yeah. yeah. Or until you get pneumonia or whatever. <laughs> right. um, but <laughs> um, yeah, so I had the blueprints and, you know, a few people have sort of questioned, well, you had this goal, you should just stick to it. What well, doesn't matter who else is on the mountain, just ignore them. But I just, you know, again, I'm not going to let someone else tell me how I feel. <laughs> um, I'm going to stick to my values um, and again, coming back to a lot of, you know, the, the focus on health, but also of, of being authentic and, and being vulnerable, speaking my truth, um, rather than going along with what society or others tell me who I should be or what I should be doing. Yeah. You said, you said we, a few times when you talk about climbing, do you have a crew that you go with often? Is it a yeah. few people? Is it a bunch of people? How does that work? So climbing 8,000 meter peaks, yeah, you're pretty much with a team. So my entire, all of my 8,000 meter expeditions were, were the same, not always the same, well, the same company. So imagine Nepal, the owner, Mingma, he has a team that works with him, but depends on the number of climbers, um, will depend on, will the, sort of the number of staff, the number of support staff. But usually I was paired up, my last four expeditions were with, a lovely man named Pemba who, yeah, who's, who supported me, who climbed with me. Um, but it's not always a guarantee. When I say we here in Canada, it's very different because this is just a group of friends who I truly believe are absolutely stoked to see me learn, to see me sort of pushing, pushing boundaries and making the most of what sort of life has served me and, uh, yeah, helping me learn and lead. Yeah, it's just a really, a really inspiring community here that I, that makes me feel um, very welcome, very supported. There's a lot of tremendous pictures. It's mountainsofmymind.com, <laughs> right? 
is, it your, is. is yes. your website. <laughs> and there's so many great pictures. And uh, the picture you provided for our last episode, it's really one of the more stunning photos I've used as a, <laughs> as a thumbnail. It's just unbelievable. The uh, of course, blue is my favorite color, so that, that <laughs> helps. But like the blue sky, and I, it's it's super cool to to look at. I'm gonna, and, I feel a bit of pressure now for, for yeah, episode 98. Right, we got it. We got yes, we got to get a good one. Uh oh. But I've heard you talk about <laughs> some principles and things as I'm kind of looking through your Instagram feed here. There's some certainly some values you've you've kind of touched on a few of these, but like you know, choice. We have choices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We we can choose. Yeah to be certain ways or respond to things that's right yeah. in a certain way. So how do you, yeah. how do you do that? Uh, well, I think, you know, coming back to, to the lessons of my traumatic brain injury and what happened. And for those first couple of years, I, so I struggled. I was such, in such a dark place, but with time, I feel with time comes acceptance. Um, but there's been so much more in that time. And learning, learning about myself, um, learning again about the power of impermanence and just embracing that the only thing constant is change. And it's, I, I've done a lot of meditation um, in specifically with a, a practice called um, Vipassana, where, yeah, the focus is on just the, the fact that nothing stays the same forever. And for me, that shift the shift from shock or or actually even before that from from sort of being what what society may call normal to the shock and then disbelief and for a long time i was just simply angry i wasn't ready to feel better but now i'm in a place like moving towards that acceptance i'm at a place where i want to feel better and i know i've learned you know that my response is a choice you know, the response to what do I do with 70% vision loss? That's up to me. And the, you know, choosing what to do when life doesn't go the way we anticipate. It doesn't mean we have to be happy about it, but it's up to, it's up to me to choose what to do with it. If I'm uncomfortable in a situation, if I'm not feeling that climbing 8,000 meter mountains is any, is not serving me anymore. If it's not, it's not staying aligned with my values that it's up to me to choose to do something. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but it's my choice. Right. And you know, the, 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 I have the power to, to choose my perspective and I have the power to make that choice when, when things are, are dark. Um, um, and in this case, you know, choosing to, to pause the peaks or, um, or take a different direction. I have that choice. Yep. And I think kind of what you just said, authenticity and vulnerability are pretty big players mm -hmm. in that choice as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of always have walls or most of the front pages of my journals talk just because when I, you know, if I'm having a hard time, I'm having a dark day or struggling through something I come back to, is it health, empathy, connection, communication, authenticity, vulnerability, and humor? Those are sort of the top values that I try to stay connected to who I want to be and what I stand for. Yeah. And the power yeah. of possibility. It, it's always, it's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it's kind of like a tremendous mindset. It's the kind of the optimistic view that you just know that possibility is always a possibility. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I don't know if possibility could help you 
help you make dad jokes any better? Oh, you know what? You know what I just thought of? At the beginning, you asked me about my, the music that I like, and I just remember something I just downloaded today. Can Let I me, tell you about let's it? Let's do it, yeah. I downloaded the Titanic soundtrack. Oh, man, I got to tell you. Um, it's I, sinking right now. I like... <laughs> it's sinking? Like, synchronizing or... Si- I got it. Okay. <laughs> Boom. See, you pulled me right in. You pulled me right in. I was too locked go. in. I don't like Celine Dion. I think she's one of your countrywomen too. And I'm sorry to, to oh, say that. She? But yeah, I think she's Canadian. Maybe no, maybe she's your I don't know. That's my Titanic joke. That's all I've got. <laughs> that was good, Jill. You pulled me right in. Very successful. Implementation of the of a dad or bad joke. <laughs> Well, Jill, I, I do appreciate the dad jokes, and um, it's it's unfortunate that I got pulled into one. I'm a dad myself. I, I should know better than that. But uh, Celine oh, Dion, I can't wait yeah, for the she, next time we record. Uh, yeah, she got you got me off track with Celine Dion there. Oh gosh! But you like to do wild things um, in kind of wild places, and that's kind of they what sure you do. do. Yeah. Can people support you? Or where, where do people find you? How do people get connected with Jill and, and help you do wild things in wild places with wild people that like dad jokes? <laughs> well, any connection to me can be made through my website. So the, again, the mountain, or sorry, the website is called Mountains of My Mind. And all of my social media is tied to that. Um, all those short forms have to be used. Yeah, we'll, we'll link. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to all those things in, in the show notes so people can can find all those. Great. And support. Um, so to help actually be qualified. So what I'm working on right now is is training, more technical training on rock and soon to be ice. I hope to do some ski guide training as well. And those courses actually are quite expensive. And so where my um, my sister had, in fact, set up a GoFundMe for Vision 8000. But at this time, any donations, anyone who is able to financially support the money would be going towards the training to help me work towards more qualifications to actually help others, um, whether it be visually impaired or amputees or fully abled people. I just think it would be incredibly cool um, to use my experience to help others get out and find out what their possibilities are. Yeah, that sounds tremendous. Now, are you going to make it to the States anytime soon? Like, are there some um, actually? Places- um, I have been invited to speak at the Veil Symposium next March. So that's the next time I know for sure. Um, March of 2024. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's some I'll mountains Vail, in that Colorado. area, right? Yeah. 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 So there's like a speaker series and I'm very honored and excited to be able to go and share some stories there um, in March, late March next, next spring. Yeah. Tremendous. All right. Well, we'll look for you. Otherwise, there too. I'll be here in Canada in the Rockies. Yeah. All right. Well, I'd like to climb with you sometime. I'm not going to get anything. Close that to would eight, be cool. 8,000 meters. I can assure you that. But, you know, uh, I, I mean, I live in Texas where our, our highest peaks are like the overpasses of, you know, highways. <laughs> they, right. At least where I am. But there's some, you know, some canyons and some some yeah. things. But I, I might make it up north a little further. But I, I'm probably not going to get to Canada anytime soon. Well, that would be pretty cool to climb with you. I would love that, John. Yeah, that'd be fun. See if we Mm -hmm. can figure out a way to make that happen. 
Very cool. All right, Jill. Well, hey, it's great catching up with you again. I appreciate your time. And you too. Thanks so much for having me. And again, if your listeners, your audience have any questions or would like to chat more about my experience or any ways that I could help, please reach out. I'm happy to help. Mountainsofmymind.com. There are just some unbelievable pictures of what you've done. It's really tremendous. And Thanks uh, so much, it, it's, it's really cool to check that out. So mountainsbymind.com. Jill Whaley, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com. <laughs>